We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Football, it's time for us to eliminate some players. No, no, not like that. Purely theoretically. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. We're going to play a game. Look, there are no games being played, so we're just going to play a game. And it's an interactive one, one that you'll be able to participate in. I'm going to explain all of that in a moment. But first, let me just get everything out of the way. And the first thing I want to get out of the way is I sort of obliquely made a reference to the fact that uh, the coronavirus situation has hit my business rather hard. And there were a lot of people who were generous and kind enough to say uh, a kind word about that. And I, I just want to be clear that there are way, way more important things going on globally uh, in the world than obviously the state of like my business and how my family is doing. But I do appreciate the comments. They were very kind. So thank you for that. And um, we're actually hunkered down sick at the house right now. So your comments did not work. In fact, I think Tim, uh, who was self-isolating, may have managed to pass something uh, through his microphone through my headset and to me. But uh, all things being equal, I think we're holding up pretty well. And I hope everybody listening is holding up pretty well. We're going to try to have fun on this episode again, uh, not making light of any situation, just taking your mind off it. And so we appreciate having you along for the ride with us uh, as we all find a way through this very, very strange moment together. Tim's on Twitter. Still, still, still Berto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Uh, how, how's the self-isolation going? Are you done? You feeling okay? Uh, no, I've got, I've got another couple of days to go, but to be honest, <clears throat> I, I think it, it will last uh, quite a bit longer than a week, uh, really. So I'm, I'm kind of hunkering down for the long haul gotta be honest like struggling for things to get me through it like you can only play so much xbox um i want to say thank you to uh the new the, the the star wars movie the latest one that came out like i'm not gonna say it's great or not i'm not gonna opine on that because apparently that is like 
actually a, a very hotly debated topic, but I will say that them, them releasing it early helped get through the weekend. So uh, that was appreciated. The more entertainment, the better. Uh, Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Hello, indeed. How are you holding up? I'm good. I've discovered Netflix, actually. I've, ne- I've always had it. Uh, I paid for it. I never go on it. But now I thought, well, actually, how about I have a look around? It's actually quite good. There's a good few bits out there. So um, They might yeah, be the one business that. that is really well set up to thrive in this situation. Um, it's going to yeah, be a lot of people that are. need some Netflix and chill. Also wonder if there's going to be quite a lot of Corona babies nine months from now. You know, I mean, just with families <laughs> together. Um, I don't know if this is the kind of thing that sparks amorous feelings towards uh, your partner, but... You're stuck in the house with them, so it could be. I do want to clarify one thing. I think on the last pod, I may have um, sort of referenced how different countries are handling the crisis and uh, maybe said that critically with respect to some of them. And and candidly, like as I've read more, there are definitely different ways that you can approach trying to handle a crisis like this. And I think um, there's been some really interesting things going around about how different countries are approaching it and the different ways those can be effective and not effective. So... um, you know, I think the most important thing is just that whatever path uh, various nations and, and localities take, hopefully they'll be successful <clears throat> and we'll all be through this soon. So what is this fun game that we are going to play? I don't know if you're going to have any fun, but we're going to try. Look, right now, if you were an American or maybe not an American, maybe just follow American sport, you would be enjoying something called March Madness. It is a tournament, a tournament where college basketball teams uh, play a single elimination sort of FA Cup style tournament to be crowned the champion of college football and uh, college basketball, I should say. And while I am not a fan of college basketball in particular, it is quite an entertaining spectacle. Unfortunately, it is not going on. So I thought, why don't we create something like that? Now, they have 64 teams plus a couple. I had neither the time nor the energy nor the concentration to pick 64. So I picked 16 players from the Emirates era at Arsenal and created an elimination bracket, one that you will be able to find and you will be able to participate in. And in fact, it is live right now. So if you want to go there, uh, you can go to arsenalvisionpodcast.com and under stuff, you will find player eliminator. You can go to arsenalvisionpodcast.com forward slash player dash eliminator. If you can remember all that, or you can just go to our website, And under Stuff, Find Player Eliminator, click Vote Now. You can vote, and then we'll publish the voting after. But what we are going to do right now is we're going to debate how this should go. And I am going to run down the seeds really quickly, and then we will dive in and start eliminating players. And again, purely theoretically eliminating them, not not actually going to eliminate any of these players. So, the one seeds. The number one seed, Cesc Fabregas. Two, Robin Van Persie. Three, Alexis Sanchez. Four, Mesut Ozil. Five, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Six, Aaron Ramsey. Seven, Santi Cazorla. Had trouble seeding those two, by the way. We may be getting that in a moment. Eight, Olivier Giroud. Uh, tasted copper in my mouth as I was saying that one. Nine, Laurent Koscielny. Ten, Theo Walcott. Eleven, Abu Dhabi. Clive might have thoughts on where he's ranked there, given that he was in his like all-time greatest team of Arsenal players ever. Twelve, Samir Nasri. Thirteen, Bakari Sanya, Tim's favorite couldn't leave him out. 14, Super Jackie Wilshire, who I once wrote a blog post about that he would be the uh, world player of the year at one point in his career. Not sure how that panned out. Freezing cold takes on Twitter. Can find me anytime. 15, uh, sorry, but I've got Adebayor on there. And 16, Wojciech Szczesny, just for Tim again. So we're going to start at the top. Tim, Cesc Fabregas faces Wojciech Szczesny, and I think this is a no contest, but how are you voting? And uh, maybe give me a little snippet on each player. 
Yeah, okay. So are, are we voting on the basis of who we like the most or who we'd rather have playing football <clears> on our team? So, I, look, <laughs> I think that is open-ended, and you can do it how you want to do it. But the goal of this is to crown the greatest player of the Arsenal Emirates era. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. if you want to if you want to crown the guy you like the most, be my guest. But I don't think that's what we're shooting for. <laughs> yeah. No, no. In which case, I mean, it has to be Sask, really. As much as I like Wojciech Szczesny, um, and I'll give you that that quick anecdote I think I've done on here before, but it, it came from uh, George Bird actually some years ago that when he was playing for the under-18s, he came out for the second half. And the linesman, as is their job, is to check the nets at the beginning of the half. And Szczesny turned to him and said, don't worry about it. Nothing's going in there. Uh, and nothing did. He kept a clean sheet for the second half. And uh, I, th- I think that amongst many other quite well-known tales, um, a, a big part Which of why I like him, from? as well as the fact that I thought he was... Sorry? Which game was that from? Uh, that was an under-18 Under-18, okay. <laughs> yeah, awesome. yeah, when he, when he was quite young. Um, but I, I just, I really liked him as a goalkeeper as well. I like proactive goalkeepers that kind of take risks and don't mind being criticised for it. I'd, I'd much rather have a good risk-taking goalkeeper than, you know, someone who just sits on their line and doesn't get blamed for anything. But, I mean, it's got to be Fabregas because, um, you know, he's he's in with an excellent chance, I think, of, of winning this award. I mean, like, if you made a case to anyone that says Fabregas is the best player of the Emirates era. I don't think that, I mean, people would disagree, obviously, but I don't think it would be enormously surprising or controversial. And indeed, I think if you held a vote on it, let's say on Twitter, for example, he'd have an excellent chance <laughs> or, of winning. Or on the Arsenal Vision <laughs> podcast website, for example, where that it's, is literally exactly. going on now. And by the way, that is why he is the one seed. So, like, I mean, I yes. felt that he was the favorite of this tournament uh, with Van Persie right on his yeah. back. But yeah, um, as for Chesney, you know, I, I don't have a great memory for, like, events. I just, I have, I fade in and out. But I think, did he save a penalty in our Champions League qualifier against Udinese? Am yeah. I remembering that yeah. correctly? And that was a nail-biter of a qualifier, wasn't it? Yeah, and that was an amazing save as well. And uh, I was behind that goal. And uh, Di Natale, who doesn't mess around with penalties, mm-hmm. I mean, he thumped that towards the top. It wasn't quite postage stamp, but it was going towards the top. It it didn't. It wasn't. You know, your nice height for a goalkeeper. That was that was on the rise. And yeah, that that's. That's possibly the best penalty save I've ever seen in person. Yeah, and and I think Theo shined in that tie as well. But like, if you want to say one thing that one player did that saved the club a lot of money and a lot of prestige at a really critical time, that save got us in the Champions League that season. So, um, yeah, 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 you you could do worse. But Chesney is eliminated by Tim. Is he eliminated by Clive? Clive, are you going to have a pop take Chesney over Sesk in the ultimate upset or no? Nah. Yeah, but any warm memories I of Chesney though? A, yeah, I, I, I used to. Well, he, he went to Brentford, didn't he? Uh, on yep. loan. And um, if you look, read some of what the Brentford players said about him, they were in awe of how good he was. And that was always a, a sign to that he was arriving. <laughs> when he arrived, he arrived with a strut into the first team and basically demanded to play. It always stuck with me that did. But um, um, <laughs> although I'm picking Cesc, I will always admit this. Um, I was a massive Vieira fan, and I didn't always take to Cesc when he first broke well, into the Well, because he team. was the reason Vieira got shipped out, right? 
Well, I just felt I felt it was a change in style that was too far removed from what I was used to, and um, yeah, my my football knowledge was different back then, shall we say, developing, mm. and um, I couldn't see. I couldn't see what he first brought, you know. What, what's this small, slow guy doing? How's he going to replace that guy who was the best midfielder in our history, as far as I'm concerned? But it was just a different way of playing. The game was changing, and Wenger was changing with it. Maybe some say he changed too much that direction, but it was the start for me when he came along, was the start of really my football education, really, that football going play in different ways. So, um, it was something that you know, it progressed throughout that period and into where we are today. So, um, yeah, Seth for me all day long. Let me ask you an, an impossible question. And I'll ask it to Tim, too, because I think for you, Clive, it is going to be more painful than, than imaginable. Let's say we never had Patrick Vieira. But during the years we would have had Patrick Vieira, we instead had prime Cesc Fabregas. Would we have won more, less, or the same as what we did with Vieira there? I think it's um, a lot of what the Invincibles did was their ability to, their resilience. I think they're a very resilient team, and I think they had the best spine in world football for two years, without a doubt. And I just don't see anybody being better than that that Vieira from, you know, really, from 2000 to 2005, 2006. I think he was just brilliant. So... I can't see it. And I think at that time, football was different. It was much more physical, much more confrontational. And I th- and I don't think um, Cesc could have, could have done it. I think maybe the, the different question is, and it's more of a controversial question, is could Cesc have played the role that Burkamp played? Mm. And could he offer something different there? I don't think it was a comparable position, the way it was played with uh, Cesc and Vieira. I think when Cesc came in, he was a different... He was a different type 10, if you see what I mean. He was can't a more, play a two-man uh, midfield with Cesc, can you? Oh, you can, but it's, it's a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, can you imagine him just roaming and just setting the play in a, in a modern way with, with that team? I think it would be quite interesting to see the difference. Okay. Well, uh, let's move on just real quick, Tim. Do you want to answer that? Do you think the Invincibles could have been as successful with Cesc instead of Vieira? Um, Not in the Premier League, but in Europe, they probably would have been. You know, it it raises an interesting point. I think Cesc even came too soon. If Cesc Fabregas, peak Cesc Fabregas played in this Premier League, I think he'd be unstoppable because it was just a rougher league back then and you needed the physicality that Vieira provided. And I don't know if you need it as much. It's not to say it's not helpful, but I think it was more important back then. Um, Should we work our way from the best seeds up or right down the bracket? How about we go go best seeds up so we'll get to the more controversial ones. Is that cool with you guys? Yeah, sure. Okay, so the next one, pretty easy. I don't think there's going to be a, t- a tricky uh, battle here, although in terms of unlikability, you never know. The two seed is Robin Van Persie. He comes up against the 15 seed, Emmanuel Adebayor. Tim, who are you going with? Yeah, it's, it's got to be Robin Van Persie, hasn't it? Um, I, mean, I mean, Adebayor, there's an argument that Adebayor might have been one of Wenger's greatest successes in terms of the player he got versus the player we got, you know, a couple of seasons after we bought him. Um, that was a real kind of polished diamond type thing. And, and you know, Adebayor, like, if, if he had a, 
you know, if he was a bit smarter, he could have been like another Didier Drogba um, in the Premier League in terms of, obviously in terms of style, but in terms of his impact as well. Um, but it's got to be Van Persie, isn't it? Van Persie is just, it, to my mind, the ultimate modern striker. And I guess the Van Persie goal I would take was one he scored in his second season at Arsenal when he was still quite young against Blackburn. Um, where he, he was actually quite selfish. I think he was quite selfish when he was younger, but it was one where Robbie Savage tries to take him out and Van Persie doesn't go down and he just bends the ball into the top corner from an impossible angle when he, he probably should have passed it. But I, I remember watching that goal and thinking, wow, we've got a player here. And uh, yeah, I was right. What can I say? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think Adebayor is appreciated for quite how good he was in that 07-08 season mm. um, because he scored 30 goals in all competitions, 24 in the Premier mm. League, uh, three in Europe, one in the League Cup, two in the FA Cup. But, I mean, he was pace and power and technique and all. I mean, throw in a striker adjective you want. And he really then sort of lollygagged his way around the pitch the subsequent season, right, to to get his move to City, which he got, and we all know where it went from there. But for that one season, he was electrifying, and he had a goal. Was it against Villarreal on the volley in Europe? Yeah. That was a I, stunner. With, yeah, I always think of the goal he scored at White Hart Lane against Spurs, where um, mm. he's got his back to goal, and it's just, it just a perfect combination of his qualities when they came together. He kind of, you know, spins the ball up on his foot, turns and just follows it into the top corner and and that was just you know just that that nice balance of the the kind of the power but the poise as well you know and the and the kind of and the technique and just everything coming together in that one movement I think that's the goal I think about most when I think of when I think about him in a good light anyway yeah on the rare occasion that that happens um Clive thoughts on on why it should be Adebayor over Van Persie or no <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? Throwing crumbs at me? No, you, right, I, I, you know, I'll go to you to start the next one. I apologize. Do you have, do you have no, any good, good no, Adebayor? Do you have any good Adebayor memories, maybe? Yeah, well, funny enough, on the website or on YouTube today, I was sort of showing the Milan 2 0 at San Siro game. Is that the Cesc Fabregas greatest game ever game? It is. It is. It's, I think it's one of Wenger's greatest games. I honestly believe that was his perfect night. So, um, so. Yeah, I think if you watch that game, Adebayor absolutely rips them to shreds with power, driving through people. You know, I've been watching a few whole games lately, not much to do. <laughs> and uh, Why is that? and <laughs> I tell you now, he was, the, the, you know, a very good loan forward. You know, a very good loan forward because he was fearsome. He could go down the sides and go down the middle and he could drive inside to his right foot. You know, he really had a lot. I and mean, it's a shame that he started to smell himself a bit too quickly, right? And count, and he just disappeared because his, his attitude wasn't quite what it should be for long enough. But we never know what went on in the background. And both of these players really left in a bit of a cloud, didn't they? So, um, so yeah, I liked Taylor Boyer a lot. But uh, Van Persie, my, my favourite goal was probably Charlton away. And the um, second one was... Uh, one of the five two games when he when he spun and curled it around Scott Scotty Parker into the into the corner uh, in, in the home game. So yeah, he's just a, a great player. That if he had half a yard more pace, he would have gone. He would have got into, in my opinion, top three in, in the world player type votes. He just was a year, half a yard short of being super world class. Um, I mean, you could argue that 
he didn't even need that half yard. He just needed the fitness, right? I mean, to me, that that held him back as well. Um, but yeah, you know, there were some ahead. stories. There were some stories about him that you know, silly things he did when he he played unfit. You know, he had a pain in his thigh and he went and played, and then it exploded and cost him three months in a season where we were doing very well. So stupidity, youth, and bad diagnosis, no doubt, coming from Arsenal. Mm. Um, a combination of things, playing when he shouldn't have been played. He became very, uh, he became so crucial to us that I'm sure there were occasions when we we overplayed him. And it was something that we did historically a lot during this period. Ramsey, Fabregas, Wilshire, you name it. <laughs> uh, we just had these players that they became... They became the sort of the identity of the team, and we just didn't feel strong without them. And I, I, I always felt we overburdened our stars through this period. And I, I do think a lot of the injuries were partly to do that, and also the fact that I always say this: that Arsenal were the first and only foreign team in the Premiership, and we were seen as a different team. This team that played in a different way, and it was okay to smash us. Right? Yep. And that just that scenario went through many, many years, until the end, some of these players said, I'm not taking this anymore, I'm going to go, I'm going to go abroad, I'm going to leave this team, because they're not treated the same way as the other teams, and um, it was felt like, let's let's try to show them that our, our style of football, the Anglo-Saxon style of football, is what we want to see come through, so we're going to be really hard on this team, and I felt, we just weren't refereed appropriately for many, many years, and I, I, I don't see that article enough. I don't see that cool enough. There's somebody needs to write that or should have wrote it. But um, it's something that I felt, but maybe it's just a fan in me. No, I, I couldn't agree more. I And it cost us players. I mean, it cost us so many players through the years. Um, well, we're about to talk about a player that we were cost, but maybe, maybe not by virtue of refereeing. Or, or maybe actually, depends how you see it. Um, well, Clive, I'll stick with you. I'll, I'll give you first shot at this. With the three seed, I have Alexis Sanchez coming up against... The golden boy who never was the 14th seed, Super Jackie Wilshire. Um, are, are you gonna are you gonna pick the upset here? Or are we going with Alexis? No, no, I'm going with Alexis, and I think you know you, you mentioned Cesc uh, earlier with the the Invincible team, but I do think this player would have got into the Invincibles, in my opinion. You know, and I'm not sure everyone agrees with that, but at his best, he was one of the very best. So you think and, Jack um, Wilshire would have gotten in the? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Alexis is who we're talking about. Okay. No, I, I don't mind holding my hand up and saying when I first saw Jack Walsh, I thought, okay, this is the player that's going to lift the European Cup for us. That's what I thought. You know, I just thought this is Same. it. Yep. Exactly what we wanted. You know, you, you, you want this player. This Everything about him said, I'm going to the very top until injury struck him down, obviously. But um, when he was good, he was very, very, very good. But he just wasn't good for long enough. And again, somebody... Who absolutely, I mean, many a time I've watched him live where you just see him absolutely throw himself into challenges he had no right to even go in for. He's just incredibly brave and incredibly pugnacious and combative. And um, it cost him. It really cost him, you know. So um, that's, again, it's a long it's a long potted history, right? So, um, but yeah, obviously, Alexis for me is um, a player that we still miss. I really feel we're only just recovering some sort of a waveform since the moment he walked out of the club. So it's only now I feel that we're 
getting over that player that was really the totem pole of, the, of our attack, particularly away from home. So, yeah, Alexis for me. Yeah, I think if people are listening to this who are relatively new Arsenal fans who weren't around for the, the sort of supernova explosion of Jack Wilshire hype, you can't fully appreciate how high the expectations were and how big the hype was. I mean, he was he was the savior of Arsenal and England all in one. Um you know, and I think he played for England in some situations where he shouldn't have and set himself back. And I think he, the weight of the expectations nationally weighed on him and I think caused him problems in terms of not just performance, but the way he played, crashing into some of those tackles. But maybe that was just who he was. I also think there are questions that can be asked about him, about his professionalism. Um, you know, obviously he was seen out partying and smoking and things like that. And I, I don't have a strong opinion on it, but I think there are some that feel that his... his uh, rumored lack of professionalism may have cost him playing time. So, Tim, um, Alexis, Jack Wilshire, let me ask you this. If we were doing a tournament of the single biggest false dawns in the history of sport, would the Jack Wilshire <laughs> Barcelona first leg at home performance be the winner? I mean, that for me, I walked away from that game when Jack Wilshire dominated the middle of the park against the greatest team in club football history, and I said, this guy's going straight to the top. Is that is that the absolute high watermark you can remember for any young player at Arsenal? Um, but no, no, I, I still think Fabregas in that 2005-06 Champions League run uh, probably takes that particular mm. crown. So with Wilshire, I'm not going to talk about Alexis because I'm going to get other chances to talk about yes, Alexis. <laughs> um, with, with Wilshire, I, I have to be honest, I, I was never entirely on board, which is not to say I doubted his talent, but I always doubted um not so much physically and and when i say like mentally I, d I don't even mean that like he was mentally weak or mentally fragile or anything like that i just think I, he always gave me the impression that he didn't think about his career in a smart way and i'm not really referencing the kind of the smoking the going out although that is a little bit of a part of it to be honest but i think you can still do that and be a really good player like wayne rooney i think did a lot of that and well, more more of it than he probably should have, which is part of the reason why, you know, as much as he was an incredible player, he was fucked by 31. Um, with Wilshire, there were just, it was more, so first of all, I think that Barcelona performance, while really good, was a bit over, I think it's, it's one of those things that become mythologized and exaggerated over time. The first 45 minutes Guilty of that game. Charged. <laughs> <laughs> the first 45 minutes of that game, we couldn't get the ball. We yeah. couldn't get the ball. Now, don't get me wrong. In the second half, that changed, and he was a big part of that. And that second half performance from him was fabulous. It wasn't a 90-minute performance. But I just there were comments when he was younger and he was talking. About, so, so basically, I think that he was... Um, he was a velvet footballer, but in his mind, he felt like he had to be Mark Noble. He felt like he had to go around and crash into tackles. And, you know, he spoke about this a few times. And I was just thinking, no, man, you, like you've been given this technique. You've got you've got a gift technique wise. And I don't think he valued it. I think he wanted to be Steven Gerrard. He wanted to be Mark Noble. He wanted to crash around. He wanted to smash into tackles and be Roy of the Rovers. Um and, and I don't think that's who he was. I think 
he he could have been like a you know more of a Xavi Iniesta type I think he had the ability to do that I don't think he had the brain to do it and uh, I was never entirely on board and actually I was always on the kind of everyone's really hyping this guy we can sell him for a lot of money that hmm. was my thinking yeah I mean one of the things that I think is a, and a that, large yeah go, yeah go ahead so and just to conclude that thought a large part of the reason that I felt like that as well was because I never felt like him and Ramsey uh fit together and I preferred Ramsey yeah fair enough and I mean I I, I think the interesting thing is Wilshire was always sort of rumored to be a wasn't he rumored to be a legendary goal scorer at the academy level like he just yeah. scored boatloads of goals like the talent was precocious I I agree with you that he never quite put it all together not certainly not long enough but in an era of three-second goal clips being the epitome of your career, he will always have the Norwich goal. And so uh, that will be replayed for years and years and years to come. All right, let's move on. We are making a meal of this, that's for sure. Uh, okay, in the four seed, the ever-popular Mesut Ozil goes up against a beloved 13 seed in Bakari Sanya. Tim, I'll start with you because I feel that this is going to be hard for you. I don't see... Uh, by the way, we all picked Alexis. I think that should have been clear. Are you going Ozil here, or is this our first upset? I, I do find this one really difficult, um, just because I think they're polar opposites <laughs> as players. Like mm. Ozil is obviously a lot more talented than Bakri Sanya, but Bakri Sanya is the opposite of Ozil in that he's <laughs> incredibly reliable um, and plays exactly the same way in every week. And also, how do you value a fullback over an attacking midfielder? I, I, I find this one like too tough to call. Does, um, does the fact that Ozil won all the FA Cups and Sanya, you know, I yeah, mean, it, it, it feels to me like Ozil. Yeah, it's hard, right? Because I think if we think of Ozil post contract renewal, <laughs> um, yeah. there's a lot of bad blood. But we do sort of overlook, I think, a period of Ozil's career at Arsenal where he was actually quite good yeah. and quite influential. And if Giroud obviously, was better, would have smashed the assist record in the season. Yeah, obviously, Ozil's peaks are much higher than Bakri Sanya's peaks, but his troughs are much lower than Bakri Sanya's yes. troughs as well. Um, I, I guess I'd go Ozil because, let's be honest, we're, we're looking at the best player from the Emirates era. And that's much as I love him, that's not going to be. Bakary Sanya. No, I, I, I think it's tough. Is you got a you got a quick favorite Sanya moment? Is the the goal in the the derby? Spurs. Yep, yep. And mm -hmm. um, the overhead kick goal line clearance against Aston Villa as well. Mm. Um, all right, so Clive, I mean, I am a huge Sanya lover. I, I think it's interesting too because I think Bakary Sanya was the kind of right back that today you just wouldn't want because he didn't do the things in the attacking half that these fullbacks have to do. But, like, you cannot overstate the importance of a guy who was defensively solid in a team that lacked defensive solidity at times, but also could play. I mean, there were games where he had to play center back, and he did it really well. I, I can't think of any off the top of my head that stand out. But, you know, that that was something that Nacho Monreal then wound up kind of wearing that that hat as well. But um, do you have a, a thought on Sanya versus Ozil? Yeah, I don't. I don't think you should underestimate his attacking skills. By the way, because um, there was a period when he was one of our best attackers down that right hand side. So um, many games I've seen him putting some good crosses, etc. And, and I also think we need to sometimes just move away from fullbacks being just attackers. You know, when you look at a fullback, you always look at well. For me, you look at the area and you look at dominance of a zone. And I thought he dominated his zone very well both ways 
you know, and able to get up and support other areas and other zones in the pitch. And I think he was a, a very good player that was maybe underappreciated, hence made him vulnerable to moving on and securing some money for his career late on, which I don't really blame him for, and fair play to him. But um, Ozil, for me, um, I like Ozil when he was number 11 rather than number 10. I think uh, Ozil at 11 has got some highlights. I've been pretty consistent saying he's probably one of the top five ever players I've ever seen from a talent perspective. Really unbelievable. And, you know, just just through watching him, you can you can learn so much about what to do and how to be as a, as a midfielder. But also, there's so many other angles to it. But this is a this is a best player talent competition, and talent wise, some of the things that Özil does are completely unique. For, and actually, they were born with him. How he how he sees the game, how he views the game, what his priorities are in the game, just how he flows through a game. There's not many like him, and there's millions and millions of people who play this game, but I always come back to it. He has a unique way of playing and striking the football. The things that he cares about are just stunningly unique. However, I think he's got too introspective in what he sees football as, and football has developed around him in a way where how he sees the game, what he brings to the game, may not be quite enough. But hey, this is a discussion point. But for this one, it's it's Ozil all day long. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, I I agree to Ozil. I you know I think the the problem with recency bias is that it's very difficult to remember how good Ozil was initially. Um, and I I do think. In fairness to Mesut Ozil, you know, we did give him Alexis, but I, you know, I think we probably did not surround him with the attacking talent that he really could have thrived with until it was a bit too late. But, uh, I mean, the funny thing is you could pick Sanya in, in that he was he was a very good player for a very long time and very solid, but I do think it's the peaks with Ozil that, that push him through here. So, so it's going to be Ozil. Let's move on to um, one that I think will be pretty easy, although... Yeah, it's going to be easy. Uh, Tim, the five seed is Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. The mm. 12 seed is Samir Nasri. Uh, two players who have not been with Arsenal particularly long periods. Um, one who left in disgrace and the other who uh, his career may be ended by the season being canceled. So inauspicious pairing there. But I, I, for me, it's Aubameyang all day long. But do we maybe, yeah. because of the way he left, underestimate the impact Nasri had in that uh, Theo Van Nasrigas season? Yeah, maybe a bit. He he could have been um, a brilliant player and, and incidentally exactly the type of player we could really, really do with now, particularly on the left side. But uh, yeah, I he, he's another one for me who's soft in the head um, and you can see it with... <laughs> As someone who has a, new, a newborn at home, <laughs> it's just funny because they are literally soft in the head. It's just sort of a funny... <laughs> it, he's, you can see where his career's gone. Um, you know, I, I don't even know. Is he still on a drug ban or something? I mean, that question on its own, like he's in his prime still pretty much. I think he's like 30, 31. And the question, is he still on his drug ban? Um, he was at, what was he at West Ham on loan last year? No, he hasn't got a chance. He's just, um, yeah, a very talented player, but <clears throat> um, wasted his career. Um, whereas Abamyang hasn't. Uh, he's He's far superior, more talented as well. I'd say um, even so, yeah. No, th- this is probably maybe even easier than Alexis and Wilshire. 
Yeah, ar- arguably. Um, I struggled where to put Aubameyang in the rankings and, and dabbled with the idea of putting him ahead of Ozil at four, but I just think the, the length of his tenure made it harder, although they're going to be matching up in the next round, and I have a feeling we'll get our first sort of mini upset there. Clive, I... I don't have a lot of good memories of Nazri because of what happened subsequent to his leaving. But I will say, if we were having a different tournament, greatest social media moments involving a footballer of all time, I don't know that I've ever had a better day in my life than just following along with the Drip Doctors uh, events unfolding on Twitter. And for those of you who don't remember this, apparently Simon Nazri went to something called Drip Doctors, and apparently he paid for gratification of a sexual nature. And apparently his then partner got hold of his Twitter password, logged on and shared this news with the world. And then he logged on and said, ha ha ha, it was all practical joke. And then she logged back on and said, no, it wasn't. And they battled as he attempted to get control over his Twitter account back. And ultimately this not only resulted in him being humiliated, but also banned from football. It is, uh, it is quite the story. But apart from that, uh, it's Aubameyang all day long, right? But do you have any anything good to say about Nazri, the footballer at Arsenal? Yeah, it was actually the season he went to Man City, or the end of the season went to Man City, uh, in that first half of that season, until he got tapped up at Christmas, he was absolutely fantastic. And again, best player in the country. We always, we always had that, this player that would just peak and then we would lose them. Right? So um, normally to Man City or somebody else. So yeah, he... I thought it was really disappointing when he went because obviously Fabregas was going and there was an opportunity for him to be the man. And he just decided to just dismiss that and dismiss the club. And it really it really left a bad taste, really bad taste. But I see he's got a lovely body swerve, a lovely sway, a lovely arrogance about him. But he's just not a lovely person or a love, you know. And in the end, you have a dressing room to maintain and... There were there were stories about what he did on on the French squad when he sat on Thierry Henry's seat and then he wouldn't get up and you can just imagine him being a little bit of a shit really and you don't have to imagine <laughs> you don't have to yeah imagine. That, that sort of thing doesn't work well and players just want you out they want you away um, they don't want anything to do with you because you're going to cost them they can't trust you and um, so yeah so from a fan perspective we see these lovely sways and flicks and, and shots and crosses and we go oh what a good player but actually from a player's perspective and a coach's perspective you showed no no consistency no bravery no leadership you just took your money and ran. so I'm not a fan not a fan at all he may not be in his drugs ban according to FB ref uh, Tim he has played 446 minutes for Anderlecht this season so good for him wow yeah he, and, and has he, a yeah, Vincent, trees. Vincent Company got him in that's right yeah Vincent Company brought him over yeah so yeah after all those great it. seasons he had at Man City alright enough said about Simon Nazri and we can talk about Obama Yang more in the future but that brings us to I think what will be the most heartbreaking matchup of the tournament for poor Clive. Clive, the number six seed is Aaron Ramsey, a player who you self-professed at first you did not necessarily love him. At the 11 seed facing him is a player you love quite a bit. Who are you picking between Aaron Ramsey and Abu Dhabi? Well, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Ramsey, and okay. because <laughs> then we don't yeah, have because... to fight. <laughs> Well, it's it's you know I I really liked Abu Dhabi from a football perspective. What he brings to a football team in midfield just fits my idea of a midfielder a lot more. 
right? So the fact his career was just always with one arm tied behind his back, he just means he was very spotty and inconsistent. But, you know, his top-level game is just it's way above it's way above Ramsey's. But he just never, he never manifested often enough, right? So but I, my respect for Ramsey grew. I always felt, Tim said something earlier on, oh, I don't think Ramsey fit with, um, with Wilshire. Ramsey struggled to fit with a lot of players during his time at Arsenal. It wasn't just Wilshire. There were many players he didn't fit with. And this was one of the issues I used to have with him earlier on. I felt he was quite a competitive player. And I felt he really tried to compete with players in a way where he tried to get his game in above their game. And I always felt that. And I thought he wanted to be central. He wanted to do what he wanted to do. He wanted to play the way he wanted to play. And, and I always stuck with me. And so, but actually, towards the end of his career at Arsenal, is when I have a, I had a newfound respect for him because I felt when the team really needed him to do some other things and to do more than one thing, he really tried to do it. And I, when when Ozil got his contract, and people say, "Oh, we should give that, we should give Ramsey more money," I sort of dismissed it because Ozil was playing really well for his contract, and actually, that was a bad mistake by the club. I'm not saying Ramsey. I always disagreed with the pedestal he was put upon. I never felt the pedestal should have been that high. But I do see his quality. I do see what he brings to the club. Much of the things that we talked about, Sam and Nasri about, that's not Aaron Ramsey. Faultless off the pitch, hardworking, always trying to be better, always trying to improve himself. Yes, he's injury prone. And I think we need to wake up to that. If you look at his injury record, it's shocking. Honestly, it's, you want to look at it on, I think it's on transfermarket.com. You have a look at that, how many games and hours he's missed, you would be surprised. And um, But you can't, I always like players that want to be something, not satisfied with what they are. And um, So yeah, I found a new family spectrum towards the end of his career. And, and I think he wanted to end his Arsenal career in a much better way than he actually did. And strangely enough, it was injury that stopped it again. But... Who was to know what would have happened last season if he had stayed fit? Because if you put his injury and that little mini trip to Dubai, that's when things started to go wrong. You know, so it's very interesting his influence. Maybe I, for one, underestimated it. So, if Aaron Ramsey um, yeah, had stayed fit to, last season, I'm happy to say that. Sorry, yeah, if Aaron Ramsey had stayed fit last season, we finished top four. I have no doubt about that. Then you get to have the interesting debate about how long is Unai Emery at Arsenal. <laughs> Which is, you know, not a place we have to go right now. Um, Tim, I don't think this is close at all. I think it's Aaron Ramsey by a mile. I I do think that Abu Dhabi is a player who could have peaked at a level that maybe even Ramsey couldn't hit, but we never really got to see it consistently. <laughs> he had the Liverpool game that he dominated that I think was the high watermark for him maybe. Um, I assume you're picking Ramsey, but do you, do you have anything <clears throat> to say about Diaby that hasn't been said already? Not that I haven't said already. No, yeah, his his peak is higher than you know a lot of players, but um, just didn't put it together often enough. And I'm I've never been convinced that that was a fitness thing because people forget that he did have um, seasons of uninterrupted, um, you know, uninterrupted by injury issues, um, and he was wildly inconsistent. I just think that's who he was and who he would have been. Uh, th- this one's no contest for me. Yeah, and and I want to take this moment since we're picking Ramsey here to say there's one player not in this that I, I regret. Now, I thought about putting him in instead of Wilshire, but I felt Wilshire, you know, he's a guy you got to talk about. And I thought about putting him in over Adebayor, but really at his peak, Adebayor was more influential. I thought about putting him in 
over a couple of different players. Um, and in the end, I couldn't sneak him in. Maybe it should have been over Samer Nasri, uh, but I did want to talk about Trip Doctor, so I, I selfishly put him in. Um, that And that's Andre Arshavin. And I have to say, of all the players that have come through Arsenal that, that weren't long-term servants, he's one of my favorite. Uh, I just loved Arshavin because at his peak, he was a mercurial monster. Uh, the four-goal haul against Liverpool is one that I will always enjoy. You can put that one on, that game on, anytime. It is everything that was fun about Arsenal and everything that was infuriating about Arsenal. He scored some absolute great goals. But guys, I think you'd agree, if there's one player who's missing from this who deserves a mention, he's he's one that we just don't think about enough, do we? I sort of opened that up to the floor and didn't really point it towards anyone. But just, <laughs> I could, any, yeah. <laughs> uh, Tim, do you have any, any thoughts about Shafton? Yeah, I I'd say kind of similar to Diaby, actually. Um, an outrageous talent. I just remember Wenger saying, I'd love to have got hold of him five years earlier. Um, and I agree with that. I, I think, you know, he stayed in Russia till he was 29. Um, he took it too easy. He took the easy option for too long. By the time he came to the Premier League, he had the talent, but not the kind of... Athleticism? Either the, <laughs> yeah, the physical or the mental property to like really say, right, I'm going to dominate these games week after week. And, you know, he's maybe kind of in the, the Chesney category as well in that like he's quite a, you know, quite a likable kind of fun character. But actually he kind of frustrated me um, quite a lot. He gave the ball away and didn't go after it. And I, I just think that started to happen far too often to just like I put up with it with Alexis because his output was so big but Arshavin's never got close to that and yeah I, I always actually felt that he started to become a bit of a liability and that's why we saw him on the bench and eventually not even on the bench so uh, yeah kind of fun character huge talent but not uh, for me just just not there week in week out loved that like no backlift shot he had though he just a fun player when he was on his day i i think i mean clive could could you maybe argue with our shavin and we'll move off him because he's not even in the bracket but i want to just talk about him quickly that the the defense of our shavin i always made in the moment because i just had a, a a soft spot for him was that arson never committed to playing him in the hole behind the striker he always played him out wide and our shavin played yeah. for russia a lot in that hole and he was really good there yeah. um you know, but that's also because he gave the ball away yep, so often yep, no, that no, you couldn't, yeah, you I, couldn't justify giving him that free roll. I don't think I totally acknowledge that. Don't deny it. But I, you know, I mean, it would have been fun to see. I also think he struggled. He went through a period where we played him up front at striker because we had we had a crisis there, and I, I think he just took a battering. It didn't didn't work for him. But but before we get back to the to the bracket, Clive, a, a, a word for for Arshavin, who I I I think. Let me just say two things about him. One. I will always love him for the goal he scores against Barcelona because it's a great moment, the moment the Emirates kind of was christened in a lot of people's eyes. I know some people are more cynical about that because it was a game that we wound up losing the second tie. But uh, And then also because the Ars cast was never more fun than when Andre Arshavin's character made an appearance on the Ars cast. So I think he deserves credit for that. But but Clive, a, a quick word about Arshavin? I think Arshavin just represents a, a number of players in that period. He he got Arshavin, he got he got Fabregas, he got Nazri, he got Raziki, he got Kaleb. You know when Arshavin P- broke, perhaps <laughs> uh, maybe up to a point, but when Arshavin sort of, I think it's in the Euros when he really sort of did well. I can't remember what year it was, but um, but when there were rumours in coming to the Premier League, you just thought, well, that's Arsenal. 
Do you see what I mean? Because he looked like an Arsenal player, a maverick player, technical player, low centre of gravity, banging shots, twisty, turny, technical player. We had loads of them. You know, we don't have any of them now. <laughs> Do you see what I mean? That was, that was the identical Arsenal player. You know, when they came available, we got them. When Riziki shone, we got him. Kleb came out of the sky for me, but we, you know, another technical player. Fabregas, another technical player. Nasri, another sharp technical eight type player who could play wide. We just stacked these players up. Wilshire Rossi there. Ramsey's a little bit different. But we just stacked this. We stacked them. We stacked the deck with these type of players, almost number 10, number 8 type players. And we technically owned the ball and teams used to drop away from us. So, And then when they got close, they just smash into us, right? So that was a challenge. So, But our shadow was just another one of those. When great, great. When we lost the ball, not so great. And that eventually cost us when we started to buy bad defenders and we slipped down the league. So, yeah, I, I love that. I love that player. I want to see more of those players come in. Mm. We're talking, we're talking about what we talked about last week about changing football, how the game is becoming very similar coaching wise and trend wise and shape wise and where we lose the ball, where the ball ends up. All those players I mentioned, they are the ones that smash coaching manuals because when they receive it, they can all pass it. They can all step their man. And yeah. we need to go back to some of these players again. We need to get a few more, that explosion, that ability to quicken the pace of the game. You know, someone like Thomas Riziki, a fit Thomas Riziki in, in our in in the modern game today, it's just perfect. Just absolutely perfect. You know? And so that two footedness and we've got about Santa Cazorla. But you know, it's all the same type. Oh, oh we have not we, for, forgot about Santa Cazorla, <laughs> sure. Yeah. But it's all the same type. And we just we we yearn for just a couple of those now, just a couple. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a really good point. We had we had plenty of that, and uh, the really the biggest issue during that period was just keeping any of them fit for any period, and that leads us to a, a great talking point. We're back to the bracket now. The seven ten seeds. I have great um, regret about having him not be a, a higher seed, but I don't know who I would have put him ahead of. Um, so here he is in the seven seed Santa Cazorla takes on the 10 seed Theo Walcott, Tim, mm. um, Theo's a centurion. He scored a hundred goals for Arsenal. He had some yeah, really yeah. great seasons in my mind. Um, the sort of way he went out at Arsenal where he wasn't very good and was perceived as maybe not chasing things down as much as he should. And, you know, wasn't everybody's cup of tea towards the end, I think underestimates the quality that he had. And there were times when he was unplayable. I remember Pep Guardiola said he was the player that most, uh, scared them going into one of our ties, uh, which may have just been mind games. Who knows? But his pace was electrifying. and He brought something to the game that was elite. Uh, Santi Cazorla, though, mm. with his two-footedness, his, his, he started as a left winger, moved into central midfield, and his ability to just work magic from those positions, I think, makes him a player that you would take back in a heartbeat if he could have just stayed fit. So not as easy and straightforward a matchup as I would think, but are you nope. going Santi here? I, I am, yeah, but I, I think I do think this is a really tough one, and I wouldn't. As much as Theo wasn't always my cup of tea either, I I wouldn't I wouldn't call anyone an idiot for going for Theo here. It, it's kind of a battle of opposites again because in Theo you've got the ultimate, or at least he was for most of his time at Arsenal, the ultimate end product player who probably couldn't do anything else even vaguely competently at times, but man, he could produce end product. Um, whereas Cazorla, I think, is the complete opposite in that you don't get a lot of kind of goals and assists, particularly if you take penalties away. But what you get is the ultimate build up player, the, the guy that can do everything else. I mean, 
you know, having them on the same team as we did is is quite handy because they kind of complete each other. But yeah, I I would go for Santi. Um, I I wouldn't as much as Theo frustrated me quite a lot. We're seeing right now, aren't we, how difficult it is to get a wide forward that guarantees you kind of that gets you 15 to 20 goals and nearly as many assists a season. That's that's difficult. That's gold dust. Um, and I, th- I think we'd all take that back uh, right now. Um, I, th- I think kind of uh, Theo Walcott, I was going to say prime Theo Walcott. I'm not really sure what that is, to be honest. But well, it was, the, it was the Walcott, Van Persie season, wasn't it? The season Van Persie had 30. I think he he had yeah. like 15 and 10 or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I'd say like pre 2016, Theo Walcott walks into this Arsenal team um, at the moment, quite frankly. So, you know, I, w- I wouldn't be entirely dismissive with him, but I also think Kazola's got a lot of elite level skills which aren't just easy on the eye. Um, they happen to be incredibly useful. And again, it's another thing, you know, a bit like a bit like Alexis. It's just something we haven't been able to replace. And there's a reason for that because it doesn't exist in many players. Yeah, I um, I, I think, you know, Santa Cazorla probably is the reason we wind up coming back to beat uh, Hull, right, to win our FA mm. Cup. Uh, he had a lot of really high moments. I just don't think we necessarily appreciate the high moments Theo had. And we mentioned that Udinese yeah. Champions League uh, qualifier, by the way. And he, didn't he have an electrifying goal in that game where he raced yeah, the Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Took it and, early, and right, guess, at the edge of the box, passed it into the right yes. lower corner. Yep. Yeah, and I, I guess there's almost an element of recency bias here in the way their careers Arsenal careers ended, you know, Santi on a massive outpouring because he had such a bad injury and we all loved him anyway. But, you know, that absence makes the heart grow fonder and all of that. Whereas Theo's Arsenal career really petered out and he's gone to Everton and he's not done an awful lot. And kind of Theo's still very much in our eyesight, you know, whereas Cazorla just kind of disappeared. Um, and now he's doing quite well. At, he's doing very well at VRL. So there, there's, you know, there's the emotional aspects to it as well which potentially biases you towards Cazorla but I yeah I I'm even you know taking that out of it I'm still going with Santi yeah I mean if Theo hadn't gone through that whole period where he was like I'm a center forward like maybe if he had just like (laughs) thrived on the wing and stayed on the wing he might have been fine I, I will say that like of one of the best abilities of a top level athlete is availability and Theo did have periods where he wasn't available I mean we remember Santi as being hit by injuries but Theo missed a lot of football I think he had shoulder issues at one point if I remember correctly Clive let's yeah. let's start to wrap up this first round and then we'll, we'll speed through the other round subsequently got one more bracket in this one but with Theo and Santi um I assume you're going Santi but do you have some love for the underappreciated toaster winning Theo Walcott <laughs> yeah well yeah Santi um yeah Theo's had a great career you, know, you look back and think of his career. You know, he was you know plucked from a youth into Arsenal's environment. You know, thrown into an England environment quite young. You know, always earned good money, negotiated contracts very well, scored lots of goals. Yeah, he's had a fantastic career, and um, yeah, there were many frustrating days watching him lose the ball back to goal, run into crazy dark areas where there was no light and no no option to get the ball to another player. And then, bang, something would just happen perfectly and he would run onto it and you would just know it's a goal. Fantastic finisher. Much better finisher than people realise. And that's probably why he wanted to be a centre-forward without recognising that on that right-hand slot, he, when he was good, he was good as anybody in that slot when he was good. If he'd have focused on it and, and stopped reading where he thought he should have played, 
um, yeah, he could have done even more. And I always go back to that Aston Villa team when he scored in the cup final and um, and the way him and Alexis switched in that game, you know, Ramsey coming from the right, Cazorla and Cochrane in behind. I really like that team. I really like that team. And um, yeah, I like the balance of it. It's something that he offered a lot of balance to our team. Always gave us an out ball, always kept fullbacks back. You just don't realise this stuff until it's not there anymore. Always retained his width. Always kept people honest. And yes, he didn't quite do it for softly enough. Because when you see a fast player, you always think they can run fast all the time. It's just like a it's like a bias you have. But they, it, it, it's not always the case. But yeah, I, I liked him a lot. But yeah, no contest. Yeah, I mean, I, it's it's funny, right? Because as we watch, like Pepe struggle to integrate on the wing, and you know, we have a center forward playing on the left wing and you know, we, we've had some challenges, I think finding great wide players at times, Theo Walcott's ability to just burst down the wing and beat beat everybody with his pace and both score goals and per, deliver fairly good crosses. I mean, I, I, I think it wouldn't go missed, but it's gotta be Santa Cazorla at, at midfield is such a problem right now, central midfield and having a player who can do both, right? Get you a player who can do both, who can carry the ball, who can pass the ball, Two-footed, my God, what we would give right now for a two-footed central midfielder. Um, really, really special player. And unfortunately, I think he's going to be knocked out in the next round. Final first-round bracket, and then we'll start to really speed through these. All right. I'll, I'll start with you, Clive, because we've been starting with Tim. In the eighth seed, I gritted my teeth and I put in Olivier Giroud. In the ninth seed, Laurent Koscielny. I, I think this one is close. For me, it is not. I'm going Laurent Koscielny here. Who you got? Giroud up front or Koscielny at the back? No, I'm going Koscielny. I, I think Koscielny could easily be, could easily win this, you know, because, you know, I, there was, there, I've said this before, there were periods when I just couldn't imagine an Arsenal team without him. He was, he was so good. He was so, so important to us. Again, another player we overburdened till we broke him, you know, so, we gave him some very average partners, moved him around all the time, didn't quite give him the one that he always wanted, apart from maybe Mertesacker, but even then we then stretched him out to cover to cover the fullback and Mertesacker when he when he got caught short. So yeah, it was um he's a player that I think was massively underrated and maybe as a value for money signing, I think he could literally be number one. You think about what you think he cost seven mil. I don't know how what, nine, ten years worth of worth of performances when he was always our best defender, more or less. So yeah, a player I rate very, very highly. Tim, will you remember Giroud as the guy who scored the Scorpion goal, as the guy who helped set up the Norwich goal, as a guy who scored a hundred goals for Arsenal, or will you remember him as the guy who could drive you nuts with a twelve game stretch where he didn't score at all when we needed him desperately? Um, I mean, for me, I think you know the answer. I will always remember him getting beat to, beat to a 50-50 by a goalkeeper. It was the things he couldn't do that drove me nuts, and I admit that that is about the way we always talk about what fits your eye. I like the Aubameyang mm. guy who can run by you. Um, I've never been a huge fan of the target man, and I will acknowledge that Giroud is an excellent target man and probably would have been better off with a prime Giroud right now than a, a prime Lacazette um, backing up mm. someone like Aubameyang. Uh, maybe I didn't fully appreciate what he could do, but I don't think he was ever first choice striker for Arsenal material was always my position. Koscielny, mm. on the other hand, I mean, at a time when we couldn't 
defend anything he he really held it together and and to be fair our defense with him and Murdisacker at times was was actually quite good uh and we see now just how important it is to have you know a good central defensive pairing as we do not have one so for you I assume it's Koscielny um I've actually put Giroud in the eight <laughs> over the nine so that's technically an upset but um is that how you're gonna vote yeah, definitely, definitely. I, I remember Giroud as all those things, frankly. Um, I, I think there's this weird thing with Giroud, and it, it always persisted while he was with us, where he was, you know, th- he he really sums up the kind of the truth is somewhere in the middle um, response. You know, there, I think there are a lot of people who overrate what he did, and there are a lot of people who, you know, who went over the top. The, the thing is, as well, like, he was... He, his form fluctuated quite a lot and he had really hot streaks and he had really cold streaks. He's a very streaky player, um, Giroud. So I, I remember him as all those things. I remember him as a, a good but not great striker and the fact that Arsenal spent years trying to upgrade on him, um, you know, tells the story. We tried to sign Benzema, tried to sign Higuain, tried to sign Suarez, tried to sign Demba Bar, you know, Arsene Wenger was never entirely on board with Olivier Giroud. Not 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 on board, but not on board with him as the de facto first choice striker. He tried Theo there. He played Alexis there. He played Jovino there. Like it, it just Giroud is. Um, I, th- I think Michael Cox said on the Totally Football Show last week that Olivier Giroud is the best um, player at being Olivier Giroud in the world. Um, by which I think he meant kind of he's the best, like the absolute like backup plan B striker. That's exactly what Chelsea have done with him as well. Like mm. you don't want him starting like for your whole season, but you know, if your striker gets injured or you need a bit of a change up front or you need to change something from the bench, he he's probably the best about. Um, but yeah, again, we're talking about, you know, the best Arsenal player of the Emirates era. That's not going, it's, it's probably not going to be Koscielny either, but there's a better chance of Koscielny than Giroud. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, it's hard, right? Because we, we bring up the things Giroud didn't do well. I mean, Koscielny, I don't think we as fans appropriately, um, value or, or I don't think we have ever really, Koscielny finished strong. He got better and better. Um, and obviously then left in disgrace. But we remember him from his good times in a way that we don't always with every player because early in Koscielny's time at Arsenal, he had a red card in him. He had a penalty giveaway in him. He had a rick in him. I mean, obviously the League Cup final against Birmingham City, like terrible, terrible mistake. You could argue it's a goalkeeper error. I think it's Koscielny's error personally. But like he made mistakes. He made mistakes that we have just kind of moved on from and forgotten. And I think in the era of microanalyzing those sort of things, I mean, he he wasn't Mustafi, but he did have moments like that. But yeah, ultimately, I think when he hit his peak and when he hit his stride, he was a an excellent defender. And probably at one point, I mean, would have gotten into every team in the league, certainly, but might have been a player who could have been in any central defense in the world, potentially. So yeah, for me, he's he's the guy. Let's go to the second round, and we can start to move through these quickly now as we hit the hour mark with one round. I guess we could have broken these up into multiple pods, but we're not going to do that. We're going to soldier on and just move quickly. So... uh Clive, we'll get this one out of the way pretty quick. Sesk versus Koscielny is, for me, no contest. It's Sesk Fabregas. Do you agree? That's the one versus the nine seed. Yep. So we are moving Sesk into the semifinals. Um, Well, I say that. We haven't asked Tim yet. Tim, I assume you're going to say, painful as it may be, it's Sesk over Koscielny. Yeah, absolutely. No doubt. And it's the quarterfinal bracket. 
Uh, he's moved from the quarters into the semis there. Yeah, that was the quarterfinal bracket. Yep. Uh, so, yes, yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yep. yes, 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 yes. So Seth yeah. now in, goes into the semis. I realize we haven't been in a semifinal in a while, but that's, that is in fact how that... Actually, what am I talking... <laughs> we were in a final last season, like the last two seasons. We're not a semifinal... Anyway, ignore me more than usual. Um, let's go down to the bottom. This is a tougher one, uh, but I, I think it's got to go only one way. Tim, Santi Cazorla versus uh, Robin Van Persie, the two versus the seven. Are you picking Van Persie here? Yeah, yeah, I am. Yeah, I think you got to go Van Persie, and uh, we'll just confirm that with Clive. Clive, are you going Van Persie over Santi Cazorla? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you could have made an argument for Van Persie to be the one seed, but we'll see how that shakes out when uh, when we get to the uh, final, which I imagine he will be in. Although maybe not. Maybe not. Could be upsets. All right, now we get to the slightly harder ones. I'm going to do the uh, four versus five matchup first. This this is the tough one. Tim, it's Aubameyang at five, Ozil versus four at four. What are you doing? Uh, I'm going with Aubameyang because he's been brilliant the whole time he's been at Arsenal. Obviously, it's a shorter timeline. Mm-hmm. Um, I appreciate that. And again, there might be some recency bias with the Ozil thing, but I, I think Aubameyang has been just brilliant pretty much all the time um, in terms of his goal return whereas I think Ozil was always slightly streaky he had good periods of form and slightly indifferent and he's been in a bit of a funk for a couple of years now but um, yeah e- even if I compare how long's Aubameyang been with us like two years mm. just a bit more if I compare Aubameyang's two first two years with Ozil's first two years it's still Aubameyang uh, for me so a- actually I don't find that one that difficult is is there a reason we rate Aubameyang higher than Adebayor? Um, possibly because Adebayor... Well, yeah, because Adebayor, his first season and a half wasn't great. He was very... Like, Adebayor had one yeah, elite season. And he, he didn't arrive and already with a reputation. That, yeah. yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, and then after that, he, you know, his last season was was pretty poor, and it was clear that he was thinking of leaving and all of that. But you know, again, if you compared peak Adebayor and peak Abamyang, that that's a difficult conversation. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I just I was thinking it's just funny because I think I think Adebayor's one really great season might be better than either of the Abamyang seasons, but. Aubameyang's the better player in his career. There's no no debating that. It's just yeah, a question yeah. of impact at Arsenal. Uh, Clive, do you have any instinct to go Ozil over Oba, or are you going to go Oba? Uh, Aubameyang, please. Yeah, <laughs> and, and you know, can, can we make a point about Oba, too? Like, versus, let's say, like, Adebayor. Adebayor was in a pretty good team playing for Arsene Wenger when he was still really in his pomp. Like, Aubameyang came in and had, like, half a season of the end of Arsene Wenger playing only in the league that didn't matter. And then he had a season playing under Unai Emery, who, as we all acknowledge, is trash. And then he's had half another half season under a worse Unai Emery, and then a transition to Arteta, all while playing a lot on the left. Like what he's accomplished, I think, is pretty remarkable in a team that has been tumultuous, to say the least. The hardest one of all, I, I, I don't know how you pick this. Three versus six, Clive. It's Alexis Sanchez versus Aaron Ramsey. Uh, Alexis, mm-hmm. um, like uh, not. Again, I, I do appreciate certain players. So scoring scoring goals in, in FA Cup finals don't count for you? Is that is that what you're telling me? <laughs> well, they count even Winners. when I was there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, <laughs> All right, fair enough. I, I counted when I was there. I must admit, they were very happy days. Uh, very happy days indeed and, uh, and nights. <laughs> so, yeah, it's very good. But, yeah, I, I, I just think, you know, 
Alexis was maybe the like I say the one player that could get into the Minto team for me on pure talent. What he did when he was good, he was very very good. He was like a mile by, by a mile our best player. So yeah, I've I just think his level is just way up there, different class completely. So Alexis for me. Yeah, uh, I. I find this one really difficult, and I might have to break a tie here depending on what you do, Tim. So don't make me do that. Just pick Alexis, make my life easy. But where, where are you going with this? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Alexis. And on the cup finals point, Alexis scored in the 2015 FA Cup final, the 2017 FA Cup final. Fair. He the scored both, both goals in the 2015 yeah. semi final, and he Thank scored you, the winner Tim. in the 2017 semi final against does the, Man City. Fair so. enough. But, but, but does the goal against Chelsea that he handled and was offside for still count? <laughs> um, I, I don't think VAR is that vindictive. I don't think it Thank retrospectively. Yeah. We'll take that goal away. So yeah, Alexis all the way. Mm. I I have a harder time with this. I think it's closer than Alexis all the way. I think I think it is Alexis. And I mean when you look at the stats, my God, I, I think people have forgotten. I mean Alexis Alexis what had a twenty six goal ten assist season, something like that, or twelve assists, something like that. I'm not looking at it because you can look it up. But um you know, and, and he he was a shot monster, an assist monster, a key pass monster, a dribble monster. But we didn't work without Ramsey. Basically for, what, five, six years? Like, he, he played and we won, or he didn't play and we lost? Like, he was so influential. He had that season that he started out as maybe the best player in the league, best player, midfield player in the world. What what season was that where he, he was just scoring for fun and then he got injured and it, it cost him? Like, it looked like he was going to go absolutely supernova. It is so rare to find a midfielder who scores goals, as we now know. And this was a midfielder who could run all game, 90 minutes, unstoppable engine. And the issue for Ramsey, like so many of these great players we've had, was staying fit. Uh, moved to Juventus, not working out for him. But I will pick Alexis because I think ultimately, when you can score goals and provide assists at the rate he did, that's you just can't replace that. This is a low-scoring game and still about scoring goals, and, and he did it. But uh, yeah, Ramsey also, is there a better goal that you've seen scored that wasn't a team goal? than the meaningless long-distance monster volley that was it against Olympiakos in Greece? Uh, Galatasaray. Galatasaray in Turkey. That's it. Yeah. That is, that's one of the greatest goals I've ever seen scored. I mean, yeah. it's astonishing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Alexis had quite a few of those, to be fair. Okay, now we're into the semifinals. I think the first semifinal is pretty easy. I, to be fair, I think the semis are easy. It's going to be the final. It's going to be hard. Um, Clive, do you have any trouble picking between Sesc and Aubameyang? Um, oh, um, yeah, I do actually. Really? Okay. I don't. Um, yeah, I will probably, <laughs> ah, no, I'll probably go Sesc. Thank you. I'll probably... I'm not, it's only just, Is only it? just, I'll tell you now, I really, I really do like the influence that Bobby Young has on the club. And I say that knowing that he could leave in, in, in two minutes. So He has been just amazing got... on that end. You're absolutely right about that. Yeah, he could leave. But if he was to stay, you know, I think he would go down a, one of our better recent players. You know, I think his productivity is excellent. Again, I think more to what he brings the club. You know, we've got a... Three hundred and fifty thousand pound a week player that could be seen by and is seen by some as one of the worst signings in our history, based on what we paid him and based on what we've got back. And he got a player in the Bamiyang that's come in at quite an old age and just delivered. 
You know, he has scored more goals than anybody else in that period as he arrived here. And so, you know, football is about that. And sometimes we underestimate that. We get a little bit romantic about the passing and the, the, the tricks and the... You know, we get a bit like that. But hold on a minute. Put the ball with the flipping back in there. But Chelsea fans used to laugh at us. We're stroking the ball about, and they just get, give it to Drogba, and he smashes it in the net, and we we go home crying from Wembley, which which I did a couple of occasions. So it's like, you know, when it comes down, in fact, I'm gonna I'm gonna make. In fact, I'm talking myself out of it. I'm gonna go. No, now I have to break the tie, and everybody knows I love Abami, but I'm not, <laughs> not gonna do it. All right, uh, Tim, just say Sask, and I'll say Sask, and we can move on. Is it Sask? <laughs> it it is, yeah. But what I would say is, I I do think it's close, and I think um, it's a point you've made many times. Abamyang's kind of unfortunate that he spent the two years at the club that he spent. Mm. If Abamyang had been with us. You know, imagine 2015-16 when we finished second. Imagine Aubameyang up front in that team. We'd have won it. Um, you know, Leicester had Jamie Vardy. We had Olivier Giroud. And I think that was a big part of the difference. Um, so do, do you remember we did that pod? Was it a few months ago where it was like, which player would you take for which era? And I think I answered Aubameyang 2015-16. Um, so in many respects, he's pretty unlucky to have come during transitional time. Although you could say the same for Cesc Fabregas, although I think that worked in Cesc's favour because it meant we built the team around him, which yeah, is fair. what he needs. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, that di- you know, I've got to deal with the facts. That did happen. We did build the team around Cesc Fabregas. It did really suit him and he did it amazingly well. Uh, so that's kind of unlucky for Aubameyang, but you know, that's the way the dice falls. Yeah, I mean, Fabregas was really, really, really good. <laughs> and he he did so many amazing... Th- there was an Aston Villa game that we were losing, and he was injured, and we brought him on anyway. And he came on, and he played for like 20 minutes, turned the game, won us the game, and then went off injured. And I think the way he went off injured, wasn't it a goal kick that he deflected back into the goal and like broke his ankle or something doing it or like do, do you remember oh, that this? was a goal against Sunderland was it Sunderland um, okay Sunderland maybe yeah, yeah he, he did his hamstring blocking a clearance which went in yeah. and uh, yeah and then he had to go off I'm conflating two games because there was a Villa game right that we were losing and he came yes, on and yeah. dominated and turned the whole game around um, yeah, and then did his hamstring on one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so I'm, you know, there was a lot of that in 2009, 2010 in the league. He played 26 games, started 26 games, and had 28 goal involvements, 15 goals, 13 yeah. assists. I mean, he just an absolutely extraordinary player. And as much as I love Aubameyang, I have always felt that at his peak, Cesc Fabregas was the best midfielder in the world. He was definitely the best player in the Premier League. I think he was underappreciated. Um, I think Barcelona fans underappreciated him, frankly. Not that that's any of my business. But yeah, uh, an absolutely extraordinary player. And one of the lowest moments for me with Arsene Wenger with the club was when we decided, because we had Ozil, not to go back and get Cesc again. Um, we've done a Would You Rather pod, but I would trade the Ozil years to have had Cesc come back and never gone to Chelsea. Because it is, to me, the saddest thing about it is Cesc will retire and, and there's just no right to claim he's an Arsenal legend when had he come back, he could have completed his story at Arsenal and, and, and been an Arsenal legend and someone that we could just uh, unabashedly love. I mean, this is a guy who we know, you know, used to read Arsblog, like just a guy I loved and wanted to wanted to be close to and now I can't be. Anyway, uh, before this gets weird, may have gotten weird already, the other semifinals, Alexis versus RVP, um, guy, I mean, two extraordinary talents that did it in slightly different ways. But Tim, do you have a, do you have a direction you're going here? Uh, I think I'm going to go with RVP. Um, 
you know, I, th- I, I think Santi Cazorla was great, but um, let's take this outside of Arsenal. Who was the best in their position? Like, well, this who is has Alexis better- versus Van Persie now. We're we're on ah, Alexis sorry, Van Persie. Yeah, sorry, this is the semis. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, okay, that that is more difficult. But I am gonna go with Alexis. Really? Over Van yeah. Persie? Holy cow! Yeah. It's a shocker. Do you know? Do you know? Do you know why I'm gonna do that? Mm. Just um, purely that. So first of all, Alexis had assists and goals, um, but. I also think durability. Um, if Van Persie, like Alexis was, and we've seen how this has turned out for him in the long term, but he was a machine in terms of the games he could play um, and the amount of workload. Uh, whereas, you know, Van Persie, unfortunately, I'm not saying this is his fault per se, but he was injured quite a lot. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm going for I'm going for Alexis in this one. It's, it's very difficult, and again, I wouldn't call anyone an idiot for going the other way. But I just think Alexis had slightly more to his game, and he was slightly more durable. Yeah, I mean, so here's the thing: my instinct is that Van Persie in 2011-2012 was the best player in the league, one of the best players in the world. If you know Messi and Ronaldo didn't exist, he had 30 goals in the league and 10 assists, 40 goal involvements in 38 games played, 37 starts, 30 and 10. Um, that's just in the league. Just absolutely extraordinary. I mean, to be fair, he only had uh, another four goals in Champions League that season as well. So 34 goals. Um, just a really extraordinary player. And who knows what would happen if he hadn't been sent off wrongly at the new Camp um, in one of the greatest miscarriages of justice I've ever seen. But you make a really good point, Tim, that I guess I haven't thought through enough. And this goes for Aubameyang too, right? Which is that like a lot of these players are elevated in our minds because they had a good season or two good seasons because they just weren't fit any of the other times. And so you're extrapolating from very limited stuff. I mean, to be fair, Van Persie played one season for Arsenal, really one fit season. Now, I would say the half season he played before that amazing Supernova season was just as impressive, just in fewer games. But again, it was fewer Mm -hmm. games. And to your point, let's go back to to Alexis with Arsenal. He had the, um, the, the last season, you know, he only had 17 games because he left midseason, but 36 games started, 28 games started, 34 games started. He had a 24 yeah. goal and 10 assist season. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. Durability, maybe it's something we don't appreciate enough. Aubameyang too. I mean, guys yeah. that just are always available. Yep. And and that's the thing with Sesk as well. The, the thing that would maybe count against him, I'm sure we'll get onto this argument is, you know, he was injured quite a bit as well. Um, and, and that's why um, with, you know, the Abamyang sesk argument, it, it's kind of their different sample sizes. But Abamyang, a bit like Alexis, always fit, always playing, always producing and has done that consistently. Like there's been no, um, there's been no spikes, you know, there's been no like peaks and troughs. It's yeah. just... Um, and and again, that may be just because Aubameyang hasn't been here as 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 long, and Alexis wasn't, you know, was there for three and a half years, and so you know, it's a little bit apples and oranges. But um, yeah, for me, like I I think durability. These are fine margins. Now we're talking about great players, so durability does it for me for Alexis over Van Persie. Interesting. And, and to, just to my point about Van Persie, so the season, the 2011-12 season when he had 30 and 10 is pretty amazing. The 2010-11 season where he only started 19 games. Uh, to be fair, he made uh, 25 appearances, 18 and seven. So I mean, you know, he was on pace for another monster season then too. Um, that left foot was ridiculous. I mean, he scored 
some of the greatest goals I've I have ever seen. Some of the volleys he scored was it the Newcastle one too. He scored some really important ones. Like there were just so many good moments with Van Persie in that season where he scored thirty. Um, but yeah, I mean Alexis was consistent. Alexis won the trophies and and Van Persie didn't. So Clive, you're gonna have to settle the argument. Is it Van Persie or Alexis? Uh, Alexis, mate, all day. Really easy. Wow, I was yeah, gonna go Van Persie, but I have to update this. I shouldn't have. T- I shouldn't have told Tim that we he was up against uh, Alex. I should have just let him think it was still uh, Santi. But okay, all right, here we, here we go. Alexis. So Alexis into the final over Van Persie. That's a huge upset. Holy cow. Okay. Not really. All right. No. So do do you want to say a word about so, it? You just you're good saying Alexis and move on. No, no, no. Tim's done a great job there. There's no need to. Um, I, I just think, you know, influence-wise, Alexis is huge. I mean, just just remember, we just gave him the ball all the time. He was our build-up. He was our exclamation point. You know, he was he was everything. Right. So, um, so yeah, it's it's, it's easy, absolutely easy. I I do think that the way Alexis left has blurred the lines for people about what a force of nature he was. And also, to be fair, what he got from Ozil. He made Ozil a better player. Their relationship really brought the best out of Ozil. And and I think Alexis should get half of Ozil's uh, wages if it weren't for the fact that Alexis stole himself a hell of a contract at United. Because I think Ozil got the huge deal because Alexis kind of pulled some some good football out of him towards the end there that uh, after he left really was never there again. So we're into the final, and uh, all right, I'm worried this is going to go sideways on me. <laughs> I don't want to have to invoke executive <laughs> privilege here because I'm not the executive. Um, Tim, it's Sesk versus Alexis for the crown of greatest mm. Emirates era player. Mm. That for a start, this is what the final should have been, should be. Um, in my eyes, that's 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 how it should have turned out. Kind of like this year's yeah. Europa League final should should have included Arsenal. Well, there's not going to be one, so who cares? Well, yeah. Okay. Um, I I find this one so, so difficult to call because they both have that uh, influence. I think if you were going to pick a flaw with both of them, you'd say possibly that Arsenal became too um, dependent on them. And actually, they're both, I think, the types of player who really, really need to be the absolute centre of the team. To They're both that type of player. They're both the kind of give me the keys to this team and they can both do it. But that obviously comes with a bit of a downside. I think it came with a downside with both of them. For Fabregas, it meant we had a central midfielder who didn't really have the physicality for a central midfielder. With Alexis, it kind of just meant that in the final third, particularly towards the end, we were just giving him the ball and you know letting him just try and batter the door down on his own by force of will um, sometimes. And I, I'd argue that got worse just because the quality of player around him got worse. Um, so I, I find this one so, so difficult to call. Um, Alexis has the durability, perhaps, that Fabregas didn't, but Fabregas has longevity. He, he was at the club for a slightly longer period of time. Um, so I think those two elements kind of cancel each other out. But... I think I'm going to go with Fabregas. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so there was a time when Fabregas lifted his game in around 2007, 2008, and it took account of goals as well. 
we had this scenario where not only was he dominating games from the centre of the park, he was sticking the ball in the net or providing assists at the other end as well. And that that's exceptionally rare um, to have a midfielder that is the technical point of your team, but then also provides the end product as well. And I think he did that um, for a couple of years and he did it extremely well. Um, but this this is so hard to call. I'm, I'm just going with Fabregas. I I will tell you why I agree after Clive tells us if he does agree. I, I If we get to break a tie here, that would make me delighted. But Clive, are you going Alexis or Fabregas? I'm going Alexis. And I think the reason why, although, you know, Tim's covered everything really beautifully there, but I will say that Fabregas was in a team which was built for him. I think we overburdened him slightly, but they he had like-minded technocrats around him. And he spent some time with Thierry Henry, which is obviously that's not the worst player in the world to play behind. And and I think there are players around him, you know, Caleb, Ruziki, Flamini, um, all around him, Van Persie, that were really j- just very much like him. You know, they were wonderful football players, Nasri for a short period. You know, really good football players, really technical football players. And I think he was just the one they elevate himself slightly above those players and obviously when he moved, you know, the pecking order changed, etc. But with Alexis, we we just gave him Urzel basically. And um and Ramsey was trying to get a bit of the shine and I think the quality of player around him was was decreasing. You know, we were I disappeared when Benga I think messed up his recruitment significantly, messed up his contract with Hills. And we said to Alexis, Can you just carry this club for a little while? which he did manfully. and um, So for me, I think it's Alexis. I think he's, for me, the best player that's played at the Emirates uh, in, well, in this sort of era. Um, and if we had the Invincibles today, you know, he'd be the one player I think could, could walk that team, get into that team and play like them. You know, so yeah, it's Alexis for me. Yeah, look, this goes back to something we said at the very beginning of this podcast, something Tim asked, which is, are we picking the best player? Are we picking the player that we feel the most affection for? And when you get to this point, I think you have to you have to blend the two. The story of my Arsenal fandom for a long period was woven together with Sesk. Um, he was he felt like one of us at the time. It, it was a transition from the Invincibles to the Emirates era. And he sort of bridged that gap, and he was the kid who was going to grow into a man and a leader and become the guy who who brought the club back to prominence following the, or, you know, kept the club prominent. He he graduated to wearing the armband. He had so many influential moments. There, there the derbies that he dominated. There were European nights where he was unstoppable. I mean, obviously, there was the game at the New Camp that was a bit of a disappointment uh, with the back heel on the edge of the area and all that. But, like, I, I just loved... Him, I loved that he was a, a technical player who had flair, but also was spiky. And you know, got into it. Was it with Phil Brown that he, he was at the, the infamous wearing clothes debate um, fight that they had? There were just so many things that I loved about Sass Pizzagate. I, he 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 really felt like like one of us, and he's someone that I had great affection for. But at the same time, it wasn't purely emotional. It wasn't purely you know like a Jack Wilshire felt like one of us, but didn't live up to the hype kind of thing. I mean, he he was as good as you could want to be, good enough that the greatest club side of all time was trying to Barcelona DNA their way into getting him back. Um, the way he left certainly 
dings him for some people. It doesn't for me, and I realize that might make people angry. And that's just where I was emotionally with him at the time. So I just feel that he was an extraordinary player, and we got to see him go from from kid to man and and become a, an extraordinary talent. That's not to say that Alexis wasn't, but Alexis never felt like one of us totally. Uh, he wasn't he wasn't a prominent part of Arsenal in the way that, that Sesk was. At one point, Sesk was Arsenal for me in a way that, that Alexis never really felt. I will, um, I will say that's some of that's communication. Mm. A bit, his lack of language. I totally agree with everything he said there about the the how he felt. And obviously, from, particularly from afar, you, you connect with people. I think Alexis was very difficult to connect to. But yeah. mm-hmm. football, I, I just talk about football, really. But yeah, I take your point, 100%. Yeah, and, and I mean, there was an amazing stat, and I'll get it wrong, but it was something along the lines of like two years after Sask had left and been at Barcelona, over the previous five years, he still led the Premier League in through balls. <laughs> like You know, like he, he put up some stats from a passing standpoint that were like lapping the field. And, and as great as Alexis was, and he was absolutely extraordinary, I also felt that Alexis was extraordinary at a time when the club was declining, and Sask was extraordinary at a time when the club felt like it, had something special, that project youth and some of that crop of players, and he was he was the leader of that group. So I just it resonates for me more. Um, but that doesn't mean I'm right, but I do get to break the tie. And that means we crown the greatest player of the Emirates here at Arsenal, Sesk Fabregas. I, I th- look, I, I get it. Alexis left for United, Van Persie left for United, Sesk left for Barca and went to Chelsea. Like the Emirates era, if it's been punctuated by anything, you could argue that the single biggest thing it's been punctuated by is the players we loved fucking off in terrible fashion. Nazri to City, Adebayor to City, um, you know, Cesc to Barca, then Chelsea, as I mentioned, Van Persie to United, Alexis to United. Like, we, you know, Koscielny went and just, like, abandoned us in need and, like, begged away. Like, we had captains leave under terrible circumstances. Hell, we lost freaking Alex Song to Barcelona, Leb to Barcelona. I mean... A lot of weird departures uh, punctuate this period, but for me, Cesc Fabregas is, is a deserved winner. Hey, look, coronavirus be damned, we put together a 90-minute freaking podcast, so hopefully that keeps you busy, and, I, and I, I implore you, please go to the website and fill out your bracket, and we'll announce the results of the bracket um, at the end of the week on the next pod we do for everyone. We'll have Patreon pods throughout the week, and to the patrons who have signed up, I want to say thank you so much, and for those of you who either can't or aren't interested, don't want to, no big deal. We just love having you here. Uh, we are all in this together, and we'll all get through this uh, time without football together, and, and hopefully make it fun, like hopefully we did for the last hour and a half. Tim's on Twitter at Stilberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Certainly advisable. Um, you know, definitely just get in touch with us. Let us know what you think, and hopefully you'll fill out the bracket, and we can all um, we can all move on together. I don't know what our next game's going to be. Uh, the outro I did last time was kind of silly, but I'm going to do it again because it's the only thing we have. But uh, um, why don't I do it this way? Let, let's keep an upbeat, upbeat message. Um, so we'll talk to you after COVID-19, Arsenal 20. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.